Man, what a week you had, and we've all been physically laboring outside, and then to still be willing to come in on Sunday morning and, and worship together and not to have, you know, our typical Wednesday night practice. And I appreciate your willingness to lead this morning. And as Pastor Dennis said, our hearts are going out. Our prayers need to continually be going out for these people. But we need to pray not as people without hope, right? We have hope in Jesus Christ. We know that there is a God who hears us, and he cares, and he has already moved to respond even before we ask. He's a loving father. Jesus says he knows what we need before we even ask it. He's not going to give his children a scorpion if they ask for bread. He knows what we need. He's going to give it. So we pray knowing, man, how would your prayer look different if you didn't know we had a loving father in heaven? Or do you know that you have a loving father in heaven? Is God your heavenly father? Because if not, yeah, prayer is just a religious exercise. It's just, it's something we do as a part of a service, maybe, or part of a liturgy, but, but to actually know him personally. And I've been trying to uh, give us an accurate picture of who Jesus is. There's a new church starting out. I didn't anticipate a hurricane, although, you know, it's hurricane season, but I've been told so many times as a first-timer here in Florida during hurricane season, oh, it, it never hits here. Don't worry about that. It's going to go someplace else. And I think people were lying to me this whole time. You know, the things you find out, you know, you find out who's telling you the truth. No, I get it. This is, you know, probably once in a hundred years, uh, a type event and disaster, and, and it happens. But according to God's plan and timing, the message that he laid on my heart is, I think, exactly what we need to hear for such a time as this. When Jesus wraps up his Sermon on the Mount, the best sermon ever preached, I'm never going to preach a sermon like that because it's God speaking and it's perfect. But we're going to take just a couple verses as he wraps up his Sermon on the Mount where he says to build your lives on the rock. So as we're talking about rebuilding, even right now, you might be tempted to think about that huge to-do list you have. Let's take a moment to sit at the feet of Jesus, to hear from him about how should we order our lives? How should we structure our lives? Because there are bigger things that we need to be concerned about than just homes. There's bigger devastation possible than losing a car. And these are the weighty matters that Jesus brings to us today to talk about life and death, eternity, eternal life, eternal death, and how God moves through the storm. So I'll read this passage, and you can read along with me. Put these verses up on the next slide. Jesus says in Matthew 7, verses 24 to 27, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Is Jesus talking about a hurricane here? <laughs> kind of sounds like it. Although I did a little bit of research and, and Israel doesn't have 
hurricanes, typically the way we have them. But every now and then, I think the, the last one was in 2006, they have what they call Medicanes, you know, short for Mediterranean Sea. And it's similar, but it's not quite, not quite what we think of when we, when we think of a hurricane. But man, it sure sounds like it. Jesus is talking about rain. He's talking about the floods rising. He's talking about the winds blowing and beating. He's talking about a storm. But he's also telling a story that has a spiritual meaning, right? We don't know, we don't know who these two, two people are. Who would just build a house on the sand with no foundation at all? Okay, so I doubt that these people actually existed in the way that Jesus is telling the story. But it can't be more clear that there's a spiritual meaning to it. And what is that meaning? Jesus is saying, those who listen to my words, who build their lives on me, that house will stand firm through the storms of life. And those that ignore my words, that think they have found a better way, or maybe it's Jesus plus something, whatever that something is, that is the way to go. He says, great will be the ruin of that house. And because I love you, I want to warn you. I also want to encourage you. If you have put your faith in me, it's in the right place. Even when we go through a hurricane, even when our, neighbor, uh, our neighbor's neighborhood is completely wiped out, as it was yesterday in the 55 and over community that we were walking through and serving, it was a joy to serve those people. But my heart is heavy to see what they've gone through. But the first person we met, Knocked on his door. Doug, I believe Doug was his name. And he's a believer. His life has been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. And so his perspective on things was very different. He might have lost the awning over his driveway. And there might be a pile of glass. And he's got to carefully step around it. But the winds did not blow his faith over. And I'm so thankful for his testimony. So how do we know if we're building our lives on him? Let's look at this text. Jesus says, first of all, check the foundations of your life. How's the foundations looking? Okay. He says, those who hear my words, these words of mine, and does them. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So what is wisdom? You've heard that word before, right? It's not a new word. And, and I think we understand in a general sense in the world what, what a wise life would look like and someone who gives themselves over to addictions and uh, fights in a bar. And okay, well, that's, that's foolish. That's silly. Okay, we kind of have these categories mapped out. But when Jesus says a wise man, he defines what wisdom is. It's Jesus. Jesus says, I am wisdom because he is the son of God. He is God in human form. So the words that he's speaking, they're not just words. It's not just like any other conversation. This is the author of life. He created everything by speaking. Things happen when Jesus talks. Have you noticed that? When there's a storm and he's on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, he says, peace, be still. If you and I said that, nothing would happen. But Jesus says it, and what happens? There's calm immediately. Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? That's what the disciples said. 
And that's the question you need to be asking. Why are the words of Jesus so powerful? Why are they so wise? Because he is God most high. The Old Testament talks about God being a rock, being a refuge in the storm. Psalm 18 is one of the most well-loved and beloved psalms. It starts out, God is my rock and my redeemer. He's my help. He's my, he's my strength. He's my foundation. And that's the Old Testament looking forward to what Christ is going to do. And here he is ministering and speaking and teaching. He says, here I am. Whoever hears my words right now and responds to them, you don't treat it like just any other conversation. You say, this is the creator of it all. This is the Lord of life. I submit to him. I lay my life down at his feet. That's the foundation of a new life. That is a foundation that cannot be shaken. We all understand building. In fact, you could say we're all builders. The American dream. We boast about building a life in America, don't we? Whether you come from Puerto Rico, you come from China, you come from India, people come here to build themselves a good life, don't they? We can build anything we set our minds to. There's nothing wrong with building a good, comfortable life. But it is possible to build an amazing life, a great portfolio, a beautiful home, nice car, good family, and still have a disaster of a fall. Because spiritually, you have just built something that looks really good, but that's not going to get you to heaven. That's the danger. And Jesus points out, if your foundation is not on a relationship with me, if you haven't been saved from your sins, if you haven't received me as Lord and Savior of your life, then who's the Lord of your life? I'm trying to be Lord of my life. That's a shaky foundation. And great will be the fall of my life, especially as you're looking to eternity. Because there's two paths. The foolish man who enters into eternity apart from the Savior. Devastating. Punishment. Judgment. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Because that comes from the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus says, check the foundation because I need to be the one who leads you to heaven. I'm the only one that can lead you to heaven. But how do you build a life with God? Not with a hammer and nails. I meant to bring a hammer to actually have a visual. That would have been a, that would have been a, good, a good visual aid, right? So imagine I'm holding a hammer here, right? Okay. <laughs> Alexis applauds. Thank you, Alexis. I appreciate that. <laughs> Jesus cannot uh, enter into a relationship with us through hammer and nails. Also, you can't enter into a relationship with Jesus by coming and sitting in a seat in a Sunday service. That's just, okay, you've moved locations. But how do you get heaven in your heart? How do you have the love of God change your life? It's called faith. Faith in the word and teaching and the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he says is the way to life. I trust and I follow him. I give him everything. All those things that I was working on, that I was building on, and my, my family even, and my home and Lord, it all belongs to you. Show me the way. 
I'm following you. That's the way to eternal life. That is the center of it all. That needs to be the foundation of our lives. And the Sermon on the Mount is a great place to start. If you don't know much about Jesus or his teaching, start in Matthew chapter 5 and read through Matthew chapter 7. And he will tell you things like this. Blessed are the humble, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's Matthew 5 verse 3. Or that Jesus is our only hope to be made right with God. Chapter 5 verse 17. Jesus is the righteous one. He covers all sins. He fulfills all of the law. The Ten Commandments, yeah, you and I have broken many times over. Jesus kept it. He's the solid foundation. There's not one crack or flaw or blemish in his perfection. He's the righteous one. Therefore, the one who hears these words and does them, embraces them, lives them out, has the right foundation. You would be called a wise man or a wise woman because you have faith. The storms do come, and it could be financial. It could be uh, a devastation like we've just gone through. It could be a personal turmoil, anxiety, or, or, or it could even be depression. But we all have a common problem, and it's just a matter of time before that comes to roost, and that is our sin debt with God. I can't build a way out of that. That's why Jesus came down to fulfill it and to lay a new foundation. And by his death on the cross and by the new and living way he opened up through the empty tomb, he stands alive today and he says, come. Even today, his words are living and active and those who are his children will respond in faith and do them. That's how it works. So we put our faith in Jesus and God adds everything. So he's building the house it's a house built with God's hands, not with human hands. And Jesus said, by the way, I'm preparing a place for you in heaven. And if I came back from the dead and I ascended up to heaven and I promised to come back for you, you can guarantee that there's a place for you, for all who put their faith in Jesus. So look at the foundation of your life. Is it on Jesus and religious works? Is it on just, well, I've tried to build a good life and I've tried to be a good person. I think I'm a good person. Is it, uh, you know, I grew up in church or I had a Christian family. But is it Jesus Christ alone who's the foundation? That makes all the difference for eternity. Secondly, Jesus challenges us, consider the consequences for ignoring my words. Okay, again, we're getting into a warning here, but we can't skip over it. This is God's word. This is important. Have you ever heard it said, well, Jesus wouldn't judge anyone. Jesus, Jesus, he's not a judging person. He shows grace and kindness to everyone. Well, he does show grace and kindness. Absolutely. His ministry is built on that, the grace of God, offering us salvation. But he does say, if you have your Bibles open, just a couple verses earlier in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, he warns, one day I will be the judge of all men. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? I'll kind of insert in there 
Did we not do a lot of disaster relief in your name? That's not the problem. Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus is crying out for people to come to him, but there will be a day when he sends people away from his presence. There will be a day of judgment. It's in the future. By God's grace, it's not today. Today can be the day of salvation, but there will be a day when people stand before Jesus and, and they, they show him their life. Look at all of our good deeds, Lord. And he's not going to argue. He's not going to say, oh, you didn't do any good deeds. Okay, here's the problem. Every time I called your heart, you ignored me. Every time I said, come and follow me, you said, no, I'm too busy. Or I don't recognize that number. Or I think I, I, think I figured another plan out over here. And we kept living in our sin and we kept building our own life and we ignored him. There'll be a day where he says, now it's time I ignore you. Depart from me. It's too late. You lived your whole life apart from me. Now you're gonna spend all of eternity apart from me. Talk about devastation. A broken house doesn't even compare to this. Eternity? Eternity. What happens in eternity? I don't know if I put these on bullet points, but I have them right here. In Matthew 25, 31, he says, for eternity, there will be a lake of fire. Physical and spiritual torment and judgment for sin. Matthew 10, 28, he says, don't fear the ones who can only kill your body. Fear the one who can throw body and soul into hell. Matthew 25, 46, he says, this is a punishment that goes on for eternity. It's not just a couple seconds and then, oh, okay. You know, maybe I get annihilated and my soul just disappears or something. No, this punishment will be for eternity because there is an eternal holy God and our sin is against him. The life that you built will be gone. What will remain? If not a relationship with Jesus, it's nothing. Nothing. This is the warning. Consider the consequences. Jesus is not saying, literally, I won't know your name one day if you reject me. I know you. I made you. But I did not know you personally because you refused to invite me into your life. Scripture is full of examples of this. One story that Jesus tells is Luke 16. There's a rich man and there's a poor man named Lazarus. Lazarus has a terrible, miserable life, but... He has faith in God, and he's in the kingdom of heaven. The rich man has a wonderful, comfortable life. Doesn't need anything, has all of his needs met, but doesn't know God. Spends eternity apart from him. And he is so tormented in hell, which isn't even the lake of fire. It's the temporary judgment place. He says, please, please, someone send a messenger, send Lazarus back from the dead to go tell my brothers, my family, the way to eternal life. Please, if he comes back from the dead, I know they'll believe. And Abraham says, if they don't hear the word of God, the law and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone comes back from the dead. This is the truth. We respond either in obedience or rejection. So where are you this morning? 
Do you hear the voice of the Savior, the creator of all, God in human flesh? And say, Lord, I'm yours. I want to be your child. I want to follow you and I need you to save me, to forgive me my sins. Not only because I don't want to go to the lake of fire. No one should want to go there. But because I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I want eternity with you. Your word is a lamp to my feet to guide the way. And I'm following after you. I hope that's where you are today. It can be. It's a simple matter of putting your faith in Jesus. Not in your good works, not in yourself, not in your Christian background or non-Christian background. It's in Jesus. And as we consider our own spiritual path, on the next slide, are we preparing others for the reality of eternity? You will spend eternity somewhere. Now, I put pending spiritual devastation. Probably should change that word because if you are in Christ... There is no spiritual devastation. We can give people the good news to set them free. Isn't that awesome? And it's not my good news. This isn't my message. This is the word of God. I'm just the messenger. So are you. You also can take the good news wherever you go. Wherever you go this week, you can tell people how to know they can have eternal life with God. I have to tell you, yesterday was an awesome experience. To, to serve with uh, the Gross family and with Sarah. Sarah was a sweet lady with us, and we were talking about Jesus on the way down and back and, and what we were seeing and experiencing and ministering to these people that are hurting. But there was one man. He was crying over the loss of his property and the devastation. And our team asked, can, can we pray for you? Heartbroken over the stuff, not interested in God. These are the people in our community that need Jesus. This is why we're here for such a time as this, to share good news that leads to eternal life. And I'm not reaching all these people by myself, and neither are you. But as a church, together, gathering and scattering, proclaiming the good news of Christ, he is on the throne, he is in control, he has a plan for your life, he will save you from your sins if you call on his name. That is powerful. And that is the hope that we have today. So as you go out this week, you are a first responder, not just the physical needs, but spiritual as well. Here's the third thing Jesus teaches us. And this is going to gear more towards believers, those who have embraced the teaching of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, embrace God's wisdom for your life. Embrace God's wisdom for your life. Wisdom comes from following Jesus. And you know, he didn't just come to save you from your sins and then we just go back to life as usual. He came so that the good news and the grace of God can saturate every part of us. Not just our soul, but our relationships, our priorities. Our home, our car, those are important things. Because now it's not just something that I have, it's something I've been given to now use for God's glory. And God's wisdom directs me and how to order my life. So if Jesus is the foundation, the question we need to ask ourselves is, what is God's blueprint for my life? Right? Every home that you're in right now had a blueprint at one point. 
They didn't just start building and they kind of figured it out as they went along. You know, oh, we'll just put the kitchen over here and I guess we'll throw a bathroom here and should there be an upstairs? I don't know. You can just kind of hear the construction crew talking to each other. I guess there could be an upstairs. Oh, you know what? Let's skip a second floor. Let's do a third floor. Yeah, that'll make sense, right? Like it wasn't just thrown together as they're building it. But sometimes we think that's what God's doing with our life. Ah, we'll just kind of, you know, whatever. Stumble our way along and, and you know, just let go and trust God, you know. But, but we never actually get into the word and figure out, how should I treat my family? You know, how, how should I love my spouse with unconditional love? What does this train our children up in the way they should go? What does that look like? And, and, uh, and, and how do we share the gospel with our neighbors? And, and why is that important for my life? We don't really get into all of that. We just focus on God is good. He provides my needs. That's all we need to focus on. No, no, no. God has a plan for every part of our life. And every day we need to be looking at what does God want to build in my life today? Have you heard of the Queen of Versailles? Anyone heard of this lady? I have a picture of her. So over near Orlando in Windermere, uh, David and Jackie Siegel, that's this couple. They're millionaires, probably billionaires. I think his timeshare company is worth, you know, over a billion dollars is what they is what they made this past year. So I guess it'd be worth a lot more than that. But they have been building this monstrosity and extravagant home since uh what was it 2004 they've been working on this house and oh boy is it a house it is a hundred and eight thousand square feet has 13 bedrooms 23 bathrooms you know all those bathrooms for goodness okay um it has a sixty-five thousand dollar annual tax bill and if you're trying to picture how much square footage is this, it's, it's the size of a super Walmart, okay, 108,000. But here's the thing. Jackie, that's the queen of Versailles, that's her nickname. There's a, there's a reality show about her. She is obsessed about everything being so extravagant and opulent. Like not just nice, not just really nice, over the top, very much like King Louis and Versailles back in the day. There's a correlation here. And she goes so overboard, because she's kind of the architect mastermind here, she will decide, okay, we need to put a huge chandelier here that weighs like the size of a semi-truck. So extravagant. The house wasn't built to support that kind of weight. So what do the construction crews then have to do? They have to clean up the crumbling pieces they have to go up there and add additional support for this extravagance. It, it, it actually, uh, the exterior of the house, the facade, it was so heavy, it was falling off of the house. So they had to redo it totally to support the weight. Because there was no grand master plan that made sense. She's just adding this opulence as she goes along. And here's an update since Hurricane Ian. You ready for this? There was $10 million of damage from Hurricane Ian. This house they've been working on since 2004, and it's still not done, and now it's even further behind schedule. And here's a quote from TheRealDeal.com, the news article. 
a particularly expensive element of the damage is the recently installed 24 karat gold crown molding, which is now crumbling to the living room floor. Ruined by the water. <laughs> Someone's trying to get our attention. Gold crown molding. Just liquefying and falling to the floor. Waste. And I think sometimes as Christians, we think, you know, like we just kind of figure out this, this blueprint just by stumbling around or, you know, I'll, I'll go to church on occasion. You know, maybe I'll read my Bible once a month. You know, that's, you know, and I'll pray for my food. Okay. And, but no, we should be hungry to know Jesus and to know his way, to know wisdom. What would Jesus do in this circumstance? How would he respond? I know how I would respond. That's the natural way. I feel it coming out of me right now, right? Like, put the hammer down. Put that person in their place. Honk your horn and, you know, make a gesture when that person cuts you off in traffic. Yesterday at UTC, the, the flooding was ridiculous. And this person, this Mercedes SUV, just decides to jump this curb to get out of the traffic and wrecks the underside of the SUV just in this flurried panic to decide to get out of there, I guess. Oh, God's got such a better plan for our life. And it's orderly and it's healthy. But if we're not careful, we can go one way or the other and, we're, and we're, we've fallen into an unhealthy way to live. So let's look at the different ways that he wants us to be healthy. First of all, emotional health, or I'm sorry, spiritual health. God wants us to be spiritually healthy with him. If we let sin fester in the basement of our heart, it's just like mold in your house. It's going to make things smell. It's going to taint everything else and make it unlivable. You know, people aren't going to want to be around you. Like, oh, that's just, that's, that's my closet sin. No one needs to know about that. It always gets out. It always affects everything. There's no secrets with God. Are you spiritually healthy? Do you, can you look back on your life and say, I, I can't think of one place in my, in my heart right now where I'm holding something back from God. I'm pursuing him. I'm enjoying him. I'm letting his grace flow through me. Physical health. Does God care what we put in our bodies? Does God care if we exercise or not? Does God care if we get a good night's sleep? He does. Because what do you and I start doing if we're building, 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 and we think we, we've got our plans together, we start to cut out sleep. I can do more with less sleep. And then it catches up to us on the back end. Now we don't have energy for our spouses. We don't have energy to serve our neighbors. We're just trying to, you know, veg on the couch and, and watch TV to end the day or, you know, maybe close out some emails. Rest. We need rest. We are not the Lord of our lives. We need to rest. And then from a full tank, now I can go and serve others. That's really the main point right here, right? We minister out of the strength of our relationship with Jesus. And when we're right with him and we're under his lordship, everything else falls into place. What about emotional health? Is there a reason that people randomly just snap get upset and frustrated or is there a reason that people are bitter towards the church don't want to come to church could it be because we all have experienced trauma and hurt maybe sometimes from people in the name of jesus they claim to be christians 
what if we just close off that part of our heart? Like, I'm never going to let anyone in there again. I'm going to act like everything's fine. I'm in denial. Is that healthy for us? Now there's two parts of you. The secret you and, and the front you put on for everyone else. No, the gospel has hope for that too. People do stink sometimes because of sin. God's grace covers that. God's grace can heal us. If you need professional counseling and help, if you need resources to come meet you in those deepest parts of your heart, it's not something to be ashamed of. That's actually the first step to healing. It's to admit there's a problem. We need help. We're here to help. We'll also direct you to resources to help you with that. Mental health, same thing. Don't wait till you're at the breaking point and then you lose control of yourself. You start to feel like I'm not right in my mind. That's the time to reach out for help. Not saying that just reading the Bible will now cure all those things. But if we don't admit there's a problem and we want to be right with God in all respects of our life, we're not going to be. You got to start somewhere. And here's another one that's important as well. Relational health. It's easy to burn bridges and cut people out of our lives. But how does that bring glory to God? How is that best for us? God said it's not good for man to be alone. So that's why we need to be peacemakers and bridge builders. And when we gather in our small group, we talk about what God's doing in our life and we discuss it and we pray for one another. We keep an eye out for each other. We help encourage each other to take those steps towards healing. And if you have something against anyone in our flock or, or kind of, you know, one of those first neighbors that we're trying to reach, if you're not right with them, don't run to God and ask him to make everything in your life great. He says, forgive others the way you want to be forgiven. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Relational health is important to our spiritual walk. And if you're not standing on solid ground, if you and I are accepting sin in our life, if we're accepting bitterness in our life, if we have some deep emotional scars that we're just going to ignore and go our life and try to cope it away, we're not ministering out of the strength that Jesus supplies. And the hope for us today is that grace is there. Will you embrace that in your daily walk with him? I think we all need that. I'll close with this story, and I'll ask the worship team to come up in just a moment. Are some of you familiar with Paul David Tripp and his book, New Morning Mercies? If not, and you need a great devotional uh, to start out with, like read one page a day, we got copies for you in the back, okay? Get to know the grace of your God. Paul David Tripp can teach you so much about God's grace. You know why? Because there was a time when he finally admitted, I need God's grace for myself. He was a pastor, but he had an anger problem. And he will tell you in his testimony all the time, I was angry at my wife, Luella. I was self-righteous and I would defend myself and I would say I'm such a good person and I, I pastor and I preach and, and everyone thinks well of me, so everything must be okay. And his wife would try to speak truth into his life and he'd say, no, 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 let me tell you all the good things I did this week. And the breaking point came when he had a long car ride with his brother and they're talking about what they've been learning lately. And his brother says, hey, why don't we start to apply the things we've been hearing about in this conference we went to? Let's look for wisdom. And that's when the turning point came and he started to see the walls coming down. And I'm an angry person. 
man, I'm loving my wife. So he goes home late at night. He sits down with his wife and he says, I know you've been trying to tell me something for a long time. I'm finally ready to listen. The walls came down. Their relationship is restored. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of pain to work through that mess. But that's where grace came in. And I don't know where you all are today because we all have those parts of life that we haven't felt comfortable sharing yet. But God's grace is available. So as a worship team comes up, think with me today. Where is your life? Have you been built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ? Is the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, drawing you to the heart of God? Because you can't have Jesus apart from the Holy Spirit. You get all of God when you receive him. And if he's at work in your life, how's he calling you to respond? Remember, the one who hears my word and does it. We want to be doers of the word, not hearers only.